0: This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Now. So, it's like I said, it's great to have you, and I hope and pray that this isn't going to be just a one-off, that you're coming to check it out, that you will continue to be with us on our journey. Uh, we're going to be every two months, so it's not too demanding, hopefully. Um, my walls look a bit of a disaster. That, if that typically that's how I built it so that's why it's not straight but uh, but yeah so yeah so I hope you're going to be with us through the journey because we really do um, hope and pray that this isn't going to be like an ABC thing we want it to be a mighty army of God that's not just one denomination or one church that we can come together and worship together and I hope you've enjoyed so far I've got bits falling everywhere now I do want to start though because when we you know the women and whatever the men are a bit slow because they don't have their own surface, uh, service so they're a bit slow so I do want to start by just looking at kind of you know women are different and I'm going to talk and that's why we wanted to put something together for the women really because we are different and I think it r- is really important that we look at things that affect women so I just wanted to go through a couple of things just in case you weren't aware of some differences between men and women so the first thing is this is what a woman's bathroom looks like That's not what a woman's bathroom looks like. I haven't got plants in mind. That's what a woman's bathroom looks like. This is the man's. Yeah. (laughs) This is the difference between men and women when they see colors. I mean, have you ever said that to your husband? You know, you show him something. Did you like this cerise top? He's like, it's pink. Whatever. Okay. So when you're packing to go on holiday, this is what a woman does. Do you agree with that? This is a man's. This is the bedroom. <coughs> Who agrees with that? Yeah. This is men going to the barber's. Before and after, cost $50. You can see where this has come from. This is the woman. Before and after, $500. No change, no change. This is the woman with a really heavy flu. This is the man with a really heavy flu. <laughs> this is the woman's wardrobe. And this is the man's wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> this is the man's car. This is the woman's car. <laughs> this is how a woman decides on what shampoo to buy. This is how a man decides on what shampoo to buy. It just says shampoo on the, on the label. This is what a woman sees when she looks in the mirror. This is what a man sees when he looks in the mirror. And this is my personal favourite. I killed myself laughing when I saw this. This is the difference between a woman and a man going to a shop to buy like a pair of socks or whatever. That's the journey they take. <laughs> man, six minutes, spends $33. A woman, it takes a three hours, 26, and spends $876 on the way. And I love that, because that is definitely me. So that's the difference between men and women, just in case you weren't aware of that. So there's a few uh, little things I wanted to talk to you about about women as well. So in the magazine from 1954, like a housewife type woman and the kids are like, 1954, when's that? So this is a couple of things that they say is the ideal wife. Okay, so let's see how you stack up to these. Okay, so number one is have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time for his return. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so that you are refreshed for when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh-looking. He has been with a lot of work-weary people. Number three, bear in mind, let's put it into perspective. This is 1954, okay? Number three. Be a little gay. He, w- he wouldn't want you being a little bit gay now, but back in 1954, you might want to be a little bit gay and a little bit more interesting for him. It doesn't matter how you feel. This is a true article, by the way. I haven't made this up, okay? It doesn't matter how you feel. H- your his boring day may need a lift, and one of your duties is to perform that. Number four. You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the time. Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are far more important than yours. (laughs) Number five, don't complain if he's late home for dinner or even if he stays out all night. Count this as minor compared to what he might have had to go through in the day. Remember, his day is far more pressured and stressful than yours. Number six, make him comfortable. Take him, uh, sorry, have him lean back in a comfortable chair or lie down in the bedroom. Have a warm drink ready for him. Arrange the pillow and offer to take off his shoes. Speak in a low, soothing and pleasant voice. Number seven, don't ask him questions about his actions or, que- or judge or judge him on his integrity. Remember, he is the master of the house. And as such, will always exercise his will with fairness and truthfulness. You have no right to question him. (laughs) Number eight, a good wife knows her place. I'm glad I wasn't living in 1954. That's a sure thing. So that was back in 1954. Let's have a look at what somebody's written about a woman today. The modern woman works. Builds her career, demands equal pay, refuses to submit to her husband, demanding equality with him in everything. I'm getting more amends for this bit than the first bit, you know? She has an affair or two, or maybe a divorce or two. She exercises her independence, relies on her own resources, doesn't want a husband or a children to threaten her personal goals. She has her own bank account, she hires a maid or a cleaning service, eats out at least 50% of the time with her family or sometimes without. She cooks quick frozen meals, expects her husband to do at least the equal share of housework. She's tanned, she shops to keep up with the fashion trends. She puts the kids in daycare centre, makes sure everyone has a TV in their room and that they've got an iPod or iPhone to keep them entertained at all times. She has me time. She works out so that the fittest, so she can be the fittest she can be. She's opinionated and usually likes to be heard. No one tells her what to do. How's that for a description? Have we got a couple of those in the house? Or what about this description? A good woman is hard to find and worth far more than diamonds. Her husband trusts her without reserve and never has reason to regret it. Never spiteful. She treats him generously all her life long. She shops around for the best yarns and cottons and enjoys knitting and sewing. She likes a tr- she's like a trading ship that sails to faraway places and brings back exotic surprises. She's up before dawn preparing breakfast for her family and organising her day. She looks over a field and buys it then with the money she's put aside plants a garden. First thing in the morning, she dresses for work, rolls up her sleeves, eager to get started. She senses the worth of her work; is in no hurry to call it quits for the day. She's skilled in the crafts of home and half diligent in homemaking. She's quick to assist anyone in need, reaches out to help the poor. She doesn't worry about her family when it snows; their winter clothes are all mended and ready to wear. She makes her own clothing and dresses in colorful linens and silk. Her husband is greatly respected when he deliberates with the city fathers. She designs gowns and sells them, brings the sweaties she knits to to the dress shops. Her clothes are well-made and elegant. She always faces tomorrow with a smile. When she speaks, she has something worthwhile to say, and she always says it kindly. She keeps an eye on everyone in the household, keeps them all busy and productive. Her children respect and bless her. Her husband joins in with words of praise. Many women have done wonderful things, but you have outclassed them all. Charm can mislead and beauty can fade. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. Give her everything she do deserves. Festoon her life with praise. Have you heard that before, ladies? That is Proverbs 31. And that's why we've called it she, because that is not a woman in the Bible. It's not described because it is a bit superwoman, let's be honest, isn't it? So that isn't a woman, but that is um, a, a woman telling her son what to look for in a woman. That's what the, the passage is. Um, I did think, strange, strangely it? she'd had a daughter. I wonder what she'd have written about finding the ideal husband. Perhaps, perhaps somebody wants to write that, actually. That would be a good, uh, good thing. So the Proverbs 31 woman is someone who we should, with God's help, be striving to be. But, so let's put it into today's language, though, because come on, you know, sewing, what was it? Sewing and knitting. I mean, I know leaders crocheting and knitting. If I knit, my kind of scarves are like that. You know, I've got 100, what do they call them? Stitches, 100 stitches to start with. I've got 20 when I got to the end. I'm terrible. And I can't even sew a button on. So kind of, that kind of doesn't mean much to me. So let's have a look at what that means in today's language. She's trustworthy, hardworking, purposeful. She's financially savvy. She's sacrificial. She's responsible. She's motivated. She's diligent, smart, healthy, disciplined, compassionate. She's prepared. She's focused. She presents herself well. She's supportive, humble, strong. She's dignified, joyful, wise, honest, and generous. And I'm sure you can think of a lot more words to describe this woman. So what is stopping us being this type of woman? Because it does say, isn't it, this woman is hard to find. So what is stopping us (coughs) being this woman? I don't know about you, but I love psychology. Always have. I've always loved kind of trying to work out why people think things, why they do things, what kind of circumstances impact on their behaviour and stuff. So I want to do a little bit of psychology with you about the, uh, the difference between man and woman um, for a very brief moment. In How Men Think, a book written by a man, incidentally, the author suggests the differences in the way boys and girls are raised Particularly when making decisions and taking criticism has something to do with our emotional state as adults. So, see if you agree with this. He suggests that more boys and girls play a lot of competitive sport. He suggests that more girls and boys play with dolls. Little boys make lots of mistakes playing sports. Little girls can't really make mistakes playing with dolls because there are no rules. When a boy makes a mistake, he is encouraged to go back, try harder. But when girls make mistakes, they're comforted. Boys learn that making a mistake may be embarrassing, but not fatal. Girls learn mistakes as something to feel bad about. Boys learn that you earn your team's respect by striving to improve your skills after making a mistake. Girls learn that you will always be consoled if you call for attention for your mistakes. The author suggests that this shapes us then to be what we are in adult life. So think about this women sympathise with each other when they make mistakes and they're overly apologetic aren't they? I am sorry is heard more from women in women's vocabulary than it is ever from men. Women discuss their failures and generally keep their successes quiet and if discussed play them down. Don't like compliments most women do they? Women can be perceived as taking ownership by making it personal to them and generally blame themselves when things go wrong. In contrast, men think mistakes should receive a brief acknowledgement, be rectified and let's move on. Men don't hesitate to share their successes and victories and they do minimize their mistakes. In addition, men will be accused of not taking ownership or responsibility and will generally find someone or something else to blame for it. So the author suggests in his book that for these reasons and others, women tend to have more insecurities than men and are most likely to allow circumstances and what people say about them and what they hear to grind them down and affect them. Men tend to forgive and forget quite easily. Women may forgive, but let's be honest, girls, we very rarely forget. Research also says that the brain the mind work that what we do is we focus on our thoughts or something and then we fire these neutrons. Here we go. I've got no idea. I'm not a, a scientist. But fires these neutrons in the brain and these work to strengthen what you're thinking. So, Andrew could probably tell you more about this. Because the more we focus on our thoughts, the more likely those thoughts are to become a reality to us. We also tend to notice things around us. So, our thoughts make us see things around us. If you ever bought a car... You know, whatever car you buy, and all of a sudden, everybody's got that car. Well, in reality, it's not, is it? It's just you're noticing it. So, what they're saying with the, the research is that the more you think about something in your your mind, the more you see it around you, the more you start believing it, and the more it becomes a reality. So, because I am shy, I can't make friends. Therefore, I won't. Do you see the thinking? Because I'm not intelligent, I can't get that good job. Therefore, I won't bother trying because I'm used goods I can't live therefore I will never be loved can you see the thinking behind the research so how are you writing your chapter what are you believing what are you telling yourself? Because what we do, you see, is we hide behind these thoughts, don't we? So we think about them, we play on them, we've heard something, it goes in, it's working, it's working, and then all of a sudden, it becomes our reality. We become the person that the other people are saying we are, when in reality, we're not. We just start believing the lies. Who's you the song? Another brick in the wall. Who wrote it? Or sang it, yeah? What you no seventy nine. In nineteen seventy nine Pink Floyd wrote the the song Another Brick in the Wall. So All in All it's just a another Brick in the Wall. Oh come on. You guys are too young, you won't know it. Come on. All in all it's just a another brick in the Wall. The front door were like, huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't need it all. Hey! Teachers! Those kids a- right. <laughs> okay, there's not <enough>, F. there's an <laughs> Ever. Go and listen to it when you get back. Anybody born before, well, bef- before the nineties, I suppose. Pink Floyd wrote that song in 1979 and this is what they said about the meaning of the song as to why they wrote it. The wall is an extended metaphor for all the adverse life experiences that cause a person to build a physical wall to protect themselves and to keep other people out. The wall is a form of protection, but it's also a prison that eventually becomes intolerable. The bricks in the wall are all the adverse events and people who have contributed to the isolation from the world. So are you currently building your wall? Are you putting bricks in your wall every time you hear something, something happens? Is that, have you got a wall of people's opinions? Have you got a wall of your bad life choices? Have you got a wall of your low self-belief? Or maybe you're not building the wall. Maybe it's already built maybe it's sky high and you're trying to peer over it and you can't. It has become your prison. So this evening, for a very short time, uh, I want to just look at a couple of the bricks that we may be adding to the wall as we go through life. Is that okay? Do you know what? I used to run a team and we used to be very interactive because they used to mouth back really. So please kind of contribute to the conversation can this be a conversation rather than me just talking to you is that okay so the first point is ladies perfection is a myth we all dream of the perfect life half the congregation have now left yeah. we all dream of the perfect life don't we perfect job the perfect car perfect house perfect happy Perfect kids. That's him, in case you don't know. That's my hubby. Perfect kids. My kids are here as well. Perfect kids. I dream of perfect kids. But unfortunately, however hard we try and whatever we do, life doesn't quite turn out exactly the way we want it. Who knows that? That is a piece of the outcome that is at least to some degree completely out of our control. You see, if we want to be perfect you will never be satisfied because you will never be perfect. You what, whatever you achieve is never going to be good enough because whatever you achieve, you can always do better. Yeah. Even when you complete your goal, even when you achieve what you want to achieve and the results are good and you've got success, you still think I could have done more, I should have done more, I should have done it better. So all you achieve when you constantly strive for perfection is stress. You add bricks to an ever, I knew this, it wouldn't work a stick into my finger rather than my uh, thing. You are adding bricks to your wall constantly as you aim for perfection. You add bricks of anxiety. Does somebody want to come and stick them up as I'm... Uh, bricks of anxiety, discontentment and general feelings of failure. In Luke ten, Martha would appear to be a perfectionist, wouldn't it, if you've read the story? Jesus had called the by Bi- and the Bible says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to do. You can imagine it, can you? Have you ever had people round for, for dinner? So you can imagine it. There she is getting ready, her guests have arrived. She's setting the table, she's checking the meat in the oven. Oh, no, nobody's chilled the wine. Quick, get the wine in the fridge. The salt and pepper are out. Go and get the salt and pepper. Somebody's moved the mint sauce, okay? Who's moved the mint sauce? No one's shook the cushions. Look, somebody's shook, sitting on that cushion. Now, shake it, fluff it up, come on. The knife's dirty. Clean the knife. Oh, no, the dog's been sick on the carpet. Have you ever had those dinner dates? Yeah? So, Martha, no? Well done. Well done. <laughs> But Martha was doing exactly that. Jesus was here, she had guests, she was fussing, fussing with everything because everything had to be perfect. But look what Jesus said to Martha. Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed. Mary has chosen what is better. You see, while Martha was trying to get everything perfect and failing, Mary wasn't bothered, but instead was content to sit at Jesus' feet and just listen to what Jesus had to say. Just imagine for one minute that we can replace our constant pursuit for perfection with pure contentment. And that's what Mary was, purely contented at the feet of Jesus. Or to be like Paul who says I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. So ladies, perfection is a myth, so stop putting the bricks in your wall. Secondly, shall I just give those to you? And as I say the words, you can work it out. (laughs) Secondly, your past doesn't define you. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, he's part of the Jones family from Brinamon? Or, do you know who her family is? Often a family name or connection can immediately bring perceived ideas of who you were going to be. After escaping Sodom and Gomorrah and after a strange series of events, if you read it, Lot's daughters got their father drunk and had sex with him they both conceived children and the enemies of Israel were literally born one of the daughters gave birth to a son named Moab and that's how the Moab the people the Moabites found their beginning and that's the culture that Ruth in the Bible not me just thought I'd better put that in there just in case was born into and raised up in on top of that her life was falling apart she was a widow She'd left her family in her hometown. She'd found herself living in quite a hostile environment where you see the Israelites didn't like the Moabites. So culturally, morally, they were different. They were enemies. They just did not like each other. And if that wasn't enough, she was barren. And back in those days, not having children was deemed to be a curse. Whoa, what a background. An incestuous family, bereaved, considered an enemy. She was different, she was alone, separated from her family. She was poor, barren and therefore cursed. What a past, what a life. But Ruth achieved everything in her life. She did not leave her family, get her down. She did not leave the fact of her family history, get her down. She worked hard, she worked hard, she worked hard. She did not leave her past, define who she was going to be so you might be putting bricks in your wall here we go Elin. your your chance to shine your chance to shine they could be abuse in your background they could be neglect i won't go too fast they could be rejection divorce even poor grades they can all be bricks in your wall if you allow it to be a brick in your wall you see ruth didn't let it become her reason or her excuse She never let her family, her past, what had happened to her, hinder her at all. She was determined. She made a decision that while she couldn't change her beginning, she could change her future. I don't know if you've heard of Christine Kane, and if you haven't, you need to get her book. uh, Unstoppable, and she's just brought a new one out now called Unashamed. They are amazing. Christine was abandoned literally on the steps of a chapel by her biological mother. She was sexually abused by several men at a very young age. And for years, she tried to bury it and just walked in the shame of it. She grew up feeling rejection, shame, insecurity, fear and anger. But you know, today, Christine Kane is married. She has two gorgeous little girls. She co-pastors Zoe Church with her husband. They have 14 churches worldwide. She's an international speaker. She's the founder of A21 Campaign, a global anti-human trafficking organisation and an organisation called Propel Women. And they are designated specifically to get women to fulfill their God-given purpose. She's the author of several best-selling books. You see, Christine made a decision that while she couldn't change her past, she couldn't change the beginning, she could change the end. Yeah. Well, you've got to remember, ladies, is Genesis 50 says: what the enemy intended for evil, come on, finish it. What the enemy intended for evil, God for good. You are not defined by your past. So you hearing me? This, this I was going to say this morning, this evening. You're not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by what you perceive as being a failure. You are not defined by your grades at school. You are not defined by the abuse and the neglect that you may be suffered as a child. You are not de- defined by that awful divorce that you've been through. You are not defined by the criticism that you've received or the lies that have been spoken over your life. Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past for I am doing a new thing. So you can't change the beginning, but you can change your ending. Thirdly, ladies, this is a big one. Big one for me, don't stare and compare. The neighbor with the perfect lawn, the friend with a successful high-paying career, the celebrity with perfect skin, high cheekbones, and a very annoyingly thin waist. I'm not bitter. In today's world, where it's the norm to spend countless hours on social media looking through photos of friends, family, celebrities and complete strangers, the temptation to compare ourselves to others is really, really high and at an all-time high at the moment, the psychologists tell us. In 1954, and bear in mind it's got worse since then, Leon Festinger argued that your own feeling of self-worth Is dependent on how you think you measure up to those around you. Not how you measure up, how you think you measure up. Comparison will steal your happiness. Comparison will keep us down. Comparison will make us feel inadequate. Comparison will prevent you achieving for everything that you are capable of achieving. See, because what we say is, I am not, therefore I am less. Here's some truths about comparing though. This so-called perfection is an illusion. We may envy the smiling, suntanned faces that we see in photographs, but we haven't seen the last 30 minutes where they've been tearing each other's hair out, arguing, whatever, you know? Have you seen the families arguing, arguing, then stop for a selfie? We don't see, we only see what they want us to see. Do you get that? We only see what they want us to see. Life isn't fair, is the next one. There will be people born with more uh, advantages than you. Hard working sometimes isn't enough. And comparisons will turn your friends into rivals. In the perfect world, instead of celebrating each other's successes, we are just looking at each other and setting our benchmark and comparing ourselves. The creeping twinge of jealousy creeps in. And before we know, our friendships have dissolved. You see, every time we compare, another brick goes in the wall. Our looks, our weight, our wealth, our parenting skills, our intelligence, our confidence, our skills, ability, our health. What else are we comparing? You see, in the book of Joshua, we find the story of Rahab, one of my favourite ladies actually in the Bible. We all know what she was. She was a prostitute. She sold her body for money to countless men. She probably lost count. And I can imagine she probably didn't enjoy her job. She probably didn't choose to do that job. She probably didn't want to do that job. She probably didn't feel good about herself. She was probably talked about. She was probably avoided. You see, back in the Bible times, prostitutes were the lowest of the low. So imagine Rahab one night in between clients, sitting on her bed, flicking through Facebook. How do you think she felt she compared to others? But that didn't stop her you hear me that didn't stop her she still was all the woman God had purposed her to be it didn't stop her making a difference in her town and to a difference to a lot of people so ladies stop comparing stop comparing lastly words are powerful so handle with care you know sticks and stones may break my bones but is the biggest lie we tell our kids I think it should be rewritten, shouldn't it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words go even deeper. No wonder the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Maybe your teachers have told you you'll never achieve anything. Another brick. Maybe you've had a boyfriend that tells you you're ugly or boring just because you wouldn't go to bed with him. Another brick. Maybe your parents have said that you're stupid or you just get in the way. Another brick. Maybe your husband has told you that you're useless just as he's about to hit you, another brick. Maybe your boss has told you you're just rubbish, you're not good enough, another brick. Maybe your friends have told you you're fat, another brick. Why is it compliments evaporate instantly but criticism's stored forever? Words are powerful and they go deep. But as hard as it is, they're only as powerful as you allow them to be. Look at David, when he went down to the battlefield, his brothers accused him of being conceited with a wicked heart. Saul said he was too young, unqualified, incapable. But David chose not to listen to words. He chose not to listen to opinions. He he disregarded the words of others because he knew who he was. He knew that he was capable, not because of what he was, but because he believed in the God that he knew loved him and had looked after him with the lion and the bear. He was confident in himself. He didn't leave the words grind him down. What would have happened if he had? What would have happened if David had listened to the voices telling him he couldn't do it? Have you allowed other people's opinions of you and other people's words to put these bricks in your wall? Not only do the words of others affect you, but hear this ladies, your words affect you. Your words affect you. Your words hold immense power over you. Power to fuel your confidence or power to make you feel so inadequate. Power to create opportunities, but power to shut them down. Two incredibly powerful words are I am. But how we choose to end the sentence is the power to either propel us Or the power to restrain us? I am fat, shy and useless. Or I am beautiful, confident and happy. What truths are you creating with your words? What limiting story are you telling yourself? Maybe it's that you'll never find love. That you'll never earn a certain amount of money. Maybe it's that you're too shy to speak in public. Or that you're terrible at small talk. Maybe you think you'll never make a living doing what you love to do. Maybe you think you're just not smart enough to succeed. The words we use become the house we live in. It's sometimes not who you think you are that will hold you back. It's who you think you are not. Have you said this to yourself? I'm not good enough for my husband. I'm not a mum enough for my kids. I'm not confident enough to do that job. I'm not smart enough to do a degree. I'm not deserving because I'm used goods. I'm not clean because of what he did to me. I'm not complete because I haven't got a partner. I'm not beautiful because I'm fat. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. How are you finishing those sentences? You know, there's a woman mentioning John 8. A boy did the villagers not think she was good enough. She was actually caught in the act of adultery. Something back then that for women anyway, not the men, was a cause of deep shame and a capital offence. And you'd be killed by stoning. Can you imagine her fear? And above all else, her humiliation. Caught in the act. Not just accused, caught in the act. Yanked from under the covers. Probably naked, because no time to put her pyjamas on or grab a blanket. Dragged through the streets, the front of the stairs of her neighbours, to stand before Jesus and a hostile crowd who already had their stones waiting for her. Facing death for a crime that she couldn't deny. She'd been caught at it. I bet she felt she wasn't good enough. But despite being caught in the act, despite what the crowds were saying, despite the words that were being said, despite her own feelings of guilt and shame, Jesus thought she was good enough and said those fabulous words, I don't condemn you. So what's your breaking you all? are you a prisoner behind this wall of insecurities are you listening to the lies of the enemy it's not your friend it's not your husband it's the enemy getting at you you're not good enough perhaps you don't even believe that God can love you because you can't even at this moment love yourself as the band carries on playing I want you to do something brave I didn't hand them out because I didn't know how this would go but I'm gonna do it. So, Elin and Karis, can you hand out some post-it notes for me? Or oh, Andrea, and a couple of pencils. Girls, I don't want she just to be somewhere where we come and we have cake and we play bingo and we enjoy and we meet each other. I want it to be somewhere where we leave different to when we came in. So, what I want to do tonight, if you're brave enough, write something on the post-it note. It could be something that you feel you're not perfect about. It could be something that's happened to you, that's been done to you back in your past. It might be something that's said to you that you've been accused of, some lies. It might be that you don't think you're a good enough man. It might think that you're not a good enough wife. You might be saying all these words and every single one is a brick. So what I want to do tonight is that post-it note treat it as your brick and if you need more than one or put them all on one that's fine but treat it as your brick and just jot down some of the lies let's be be clear some of the lies that you've said over your life or others have said of you write them down on your post-it note or your brick (laughs) the girls are going to sing and if you're brave enough, grab a friend, grab the person next to you, come out by your own, whatever. But if you're brave enough and you say, you know what, enough is enough. I am behind this wall and I'm sick and tired of it. I thought it was protecting me, but it's not. It's imprisoning me and I need to break free from it. I need to be different tonight at whatever time it is. I want to be different at a Day tonight than I was at seven o'clock tonight and i know it's only symbolic and i know you might be silly but what i want you to do is as caris and el sing i want you to bring your brick and i want you to put it on the wall you've written in pencil so nobody will see what it is i want you to put it on the wall and then we're going to do something symbolic tonight that hopefully will make a difference in your life thanks girls he keep playing. Failure as a mother. Nothing will change. Not good enough. I'm ugly. I'm short. I'm grumpy. What's this one? I can't read in my tears. I'm weak. I'm broken. I'm ugly. I feel useless. No matter what I know, God loves me. Amen. I'm too young. I need to pull my socks up. I'm not a very good mum. Guys, they're lies. Girls, they're lies. If we're going to be an army, we've got to forget these lies. Words are powerful. So let me give you some words tonight. Let me give you some words tonight. You are God's creation. He has breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. He created you in his own image. His eyes saw your unformed substance. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows every single hair on your head. And before a word is spoken on your tongue, he knows you. You are fearfully, you are wonderfully made. You are more valuable than many sparrows. You have been given dominion over the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Girls, you are crowned with the glory and honor. In his great love, he has given you his unique son so that you won't perish but you will have everlasting life. While you were a sinner, he died for you. While you were hostile, he reconciled you. You are no longer an orphan, he has adopted you. You belong to him and he loves you as a perfect father. You are new. The old is gone. You are finally free. There is no condemnation. No condemnation. Your sins are forgiven. You are perfect in His sight. You are blameless. You are clean. You are utterly secure in God. Nothing will able to separate you from his love. No one can snatch you out of his hand. He will never leave you or forsaken. Girls, stop believing these lies tonight. You have been called by your name because he knows you. He has chosen you even though you Everything. He loves you even when you feel at left. He forgives you when you don't forgive yourself. You are victorious even if you feel powerless. You are more than a conqueror. You just need to believe it. You have a hope and a glorious future. Now start living the life that you were born to win. Amen. Sin does not have the last word. Grace does. Amen. Chosen, not sake. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am, who you say I am. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269